Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And we are back from a long Memorial Day weekend. How did it go for you? Did you get some some downtime in spite of the pandemic? I went out to Elysian Park uh, at a safe distance with my daughter, who gave me a loaf of sourdough bread. Always a good thing. And uh, and I went for a hike up on Mulholland, which had way too many people uh, As on usual. the trail there. Uh, not a good idea on Memorial Day, but um, it was good to get outside. It was good to get out in the car, to get on the freeway. You know, things are opening up a little bit. We're all being careful. I'm ordering lots of different masks so that I can hike without losing my breath. How about you, Eric? I hear, yeah. I hear you got out in your car. Yeah, the, the, the nice thing about my weekend was that I finally got to go to the movies. My, uh, my car acquisition has been an incremental process of exploration. So first it was a little bit around the neighborhood, then to a couple other boroughs. And now I'm upstate New York. Uh, staying with the in-laws for a little bit. I didn't totally flee the city. We're going back in a couple of days, but it's been nice to uh, have a little bit more extra space, which is what we've been doing here and, and also socially distant from the other folks who we're sharing a home with right now. But Can the you get outside? Jer- yeah, so we, we've gotten outside quite a bit. And the Jericho Drive-In, which is, is about half an hour from here, uh, is a place that we've gone on Memorial Day weekend pretty much every year for, for quite a while after Cannes. When I come back here and I'm exhausted like you, we go to see whatever, you know, trashy blockbuster happens to be playing at this thing. It's almost like, and, and as it happens, it was actually a pretty good selection. They had Onward playing at the Jericho Drive-In, which I'd seen and I think is decent. Um, I saw it was that on one double on bill. demand. I mean, I saw it, that on Disney. Well, Plus. a lot of people did, and yeah. and a lot and and the other film on the double bill was a call of wild, which is not a great movie, and we I didn't stick around it. for it. <laughs> I mean, the CGI dog needed work, but Harrison Ford <laughs> did his best. But that, but the thing that that was really uh, interesting about it was that, like most people, I hadn't been to a movie theater since all this stuff started happening. I, I haven't been counting down the days or anything like that, but it's been a couple months. So I have to say that going to this drive-in did feel like going to see a movie or at least the closest approximation of that that you can get right now. So uh, the, it wasn't totally full, but it was pretty close to it. You had you could roll down the windows, you could hear people laughing and the concessions though you had to order online were open. You'd order online, you go over there with your mask, and you get in and come back. So there was something, I think, kind of comforting about that. that as it long still as you don't need possible. to go to the bathroom. The bathrooms were available. They, they do set, ask you in advance to, to try to go before you get there uh, so that they don't get overwhelmed with, uh, with people. <laughs> so they're supposed so, to clean between each use, is that right? I, I don't know how much of that was being done. 
but I but we were given a, a piece of paper when we arrived with some breakdown of the rules and, and asking people please don't ruin this experience for everyone else which is basically saying you know if, if somebody gets sick and they get shut down you know it's because people were not careful and um and people were being careful as far as i could tell and we got to see as long as you and, felt comfortable so that means that it, you know given the chance you would do it again yeah but you know maybe i'm not the best case study i mean i've said before i i'm I'm willing to be on the front lines. I'll go to the festivals if they're happening, even if it seems like a risk. But it did not feel like a risk, I have to say. And maybe well, I think that's what it's you know, about. Because if I'm in a if I'm in a, a park with lots of safe distancing, I'm happy. If I'm on the trail trying to maneuver in traffic away from people, you know, climbing up on the side, and you know, I'm not comfortable. So well, yeah, so, it's a, that's you know a I mean? different kind of experience because your center of of comfort is constantly on shifting. the move so yeah, it's shifting yeah. around and you and it, and it involves a, a system of trust with people you don't know whereas when you're in your car you don't have to engage that with other sounds people. safe so, to me actually yeah and, and and i will tell you something else they they did not allow you to bring long cha lawn chairs right so you can't like sit outside your car and and drink a beer or something like that you have to but stay in the car but there were people who had the backs of their cars open and, and, and were watching the movie that way and sitting that way. So there was something experiential in that respect. And, um, and I think that uh, there's a lot of potential there. We've talked about it before. There's over 300 drive-ins in the US, 30 some odd drive-ins in New York alone. And they're doing better business than any of the, uh, there's a list of, of which films, which, which theaters are doing better than others. And, and the indoor theaters are definitely down the list from, from the drive-ins. Yeah, and it's all There aren't that many indoor theaters open. So we had right. a panel, we had a panel, uh, an on, online thing, which we'll post next week. Uh, I, I spoke to our video guy and we're gonna get that up early next week. Um, it was really cool. It was it was a, a it was a two indie, uh, three indie distributors, one indie exhibitor, John Banco being both, and um, and Ted Mundor from uh, ArcLight, and this guy Chris Aronson, who's the head of distribution at Paramount. So we had a, a representation of the different uh, groups, and we gave we and got you had Dory Begley from uh, Magnolia, so you right. had somebody really doing VOD stuff, right? So we got all those things covered and, and it was really fun. Um, and I look forward to doing more panels like that because what's sort of fun about it, I think, is that people are stuck at home. They're eager to engage with other people in the profession. And you did get the sense that at least in this conversation, they were all learning from each other as well arguing with each other and there was yeah, a there debate was about whether tenants going to open on on july 17th or not and and uh you know it was it was it was i learned a lot from it including the fact that drive-ins are are going to continue to be important but not forever just in this in this interim period and then there will be more pop-up drive-ins and and things like that going forward uh, well, the thing I got from it, phase. I, what, I, what I got, I mean, I, everyone's dismissive of, of drive-ins for, for in, in some ways, the right reasons, because it's not like drive-ins are the future of exhibition yeah. or something. But I do think that it only fuels this argument that they're, 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 people will want to go back to the movies. I don't think the people that in, 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 you were talking to were came across as, as you know having an existential crisis or something but there they is they were very optimistic but they were going there is to be. A, I they're that going, going to be in, in different ways and you and you so maybe you take some of the but optimism one guy ted at the end but, very 
realistically said it's going to be slow. That was well, but and of course it'll be slow. But also, even as it's slow, there are new things that are being learned along the way. I think that the there was some sort of of a sense of between Ted and Doria Magnolia about whether or not virtual the virtual cinema releases have been a constructive development. And to me, it seemed like. The, the, what, 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 what's an important takeaway here is that they do not replace necessarily the revenue that has been lost from a lack of theaters, but they, are, they have been instructive to the companies that can add that, them to their roster as something they can do. There was a That's political good. thing going on there, which had to do with the whole question of what you say in public about day and date. And, and so, you know, someone like Ted Mundorf as an exhibitor is still very intensely opposed to day and date, you see. Of course, I mean, and, and, and you know what, I almost feel like we may get to a point where the term day and date has to be retired because it's, it, it's, it for a while seemed to suggest something really specific, which is hitting theaters and being available on VOD at the same time. And as the very concept of, you know, Windows seems to be, you know, moving on because the theatrical window is not going to be as much of a fixed thing as our culture in our culture as it, as it once was or in our industry. This idea of day and date is, is going to be more uh, fragmented because there are going to be situations where a movie might come out on VOD much sooner, but not exactly at the same time. And that's an evolution of what day and date's been doing for a long time. What we're seeing is that everything is, in fact, in flux and, 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 and fluid in a way that the theaters are very uncomfortable with. And so the reality is that the theaters want it to go back to the way it was when this is all over, and it's not going to. And that's what I liked about what Chris Aronson said. He said, what we really ought to do in this situation is figure out what we can do to meaningfully change and reinvent everything so that it's better going forward. And I think it doesn't have to this, go back to being what it was before. You see this on every level of, of well, on every level of society that, that the, the people who have more room to take risks and experiment are, be are better situated. And yet at the same time, they're having too many conversations at once. Like they, there's, there's, it's really hard for people to get on the same page. I mean, we don't have to dwell on this, but the collapse or seeming collapse of art house convergence, which you alluded to in the panels is, you know, taps into that to some degree. I mean, the art house exhibitors are in some ways well situated to kind of lead the charge of innovation. And yet everybody's going to have a different kind of idea. They're speaking the same language. And the challenge is going to be how do, how do they all get on some kind of same page to figure out what the next phase is going to look like? Because I am really curious to, to see how they, how they reform. Basically, they're going to reestablish themselves and, and figure out a new to. way to go forward. I'm not worried about that. They will. Um, I am worried. I mean, there was some debate on the panel. It was interesting. Um, Ted Mundorf was suggesting that nimble and small is a good thing and that you're going to be better off. But I know I had a conversation with another indie um, exhibition chain where, where he used to run uh, Landmark, um, where, they, where they were suggesting that the, the smaller you are, the less likely you are to be able to get the kind of bank loans you need and to have the clout to uh, argue with the landlords. Ted made a, made a point that the landlords and being able to make due terms on the leases is going to be essential for the theaters to survive.
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's going to be a challenge for all kinds of small businesses. So, right. so they're not unique in that in that respect. Yeah. They have to come up with a business plan. They can't just plead to these folks to give them more time. And perhaps that's why, again, the virtual cinema thing actually has been valuable for some people that you have the point to I was it, trying. Right? Yes, the point I was trying to make is that there really are a lot of markets in this country that don't have our house cinemas who wait and wait and wait, you know, months before they get to see things and the marketing is gone. I still like the, the argument that when there's some marketing around something, you might as well have it available in different venues at the same time. And I just think that's a good thing. And I think that's what's going to happen going forward. More people will have access so, to these films than they have in the past. In the, at the other end of the spectrum, aka the streaming space, perhaps one of the more significant stories that, that came up in our world was uh, Netflix. And we reported what, what um, or you, you wrote a story that uh, reflected what uh, had been going around for a while, but, but had not been completely clarified yet, which was that Netflix seems to be sitting out the fall festivals and the fall festivals can proceed along without Netflix films, but it is significant given that Netflix, which is remaining, as you said, a, a, a sponsor uh, at they're a lot of financially uh, still supporting them. Yeah, so, and they're so willing to, to, to contribute still doing uh, people for Q and A's and conversations and, and, and stuff yet, like that. But it doesn't and, mean the important point to take away from this is not that they. This is a one-time, at least as far as I can tell, this is a one-time pandemic situation where they're looking at each film one at a time and looking at whether they're going to be finished in time or not and what they're going to get from it in this situation. Well, this but again, so, so but let's free universe but hang on. that before, we're in but, right now. Before we get into all that, I think it's important to, to really clarify why this news seems to resonate. And it's that Netflix not setting is okay, so good, good on them for continuing to, to provide financial support for the festivals. They, they have routinely also launched major films at these festivals. And you know, like whether it's Marriage Story or Roma or The Irishman, uh, what that has done for these festivals is 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 significant. Now, the question is, without those Netflix films, if if the other major films that might be at fall festivals continue to do that, do, does do they still have enough, or does losing whatever it is, the David Fincher film, let's say, or the other films that you ticked off, does that really take a chunk out of the, the power that these festivals could have to really, you know, have, you know, I don't think that's how, should, how you should be looking. I think there's a, a real problem that some festivals are really afraid of, um, that if Netflix takes a policy or, or, or a strategy, uh, that they're not, that they're, that this is, uh, we're simply not participating in any of these festivals. A, we're not sending talent because it's maybe not safe. B, we may not be getting the bang for our bucket and non the, the, why did they go to festivals in the first place, Netflix? They used festivals to counteract the fact that they weren't in theaters. It was, and now they have theaters. They've got the Paris and they've got the Egyptian and they can control those environment and environments, make them safe put people into them that they want to see the films, get the attention out of them that they need. And so they don't need the festivals in the same way. What the festivals are terrified of, I think, is that this will be uh, imitated by the other studios. And I certainly hope that's not true. I hope that there are enough films finished in time. According to Cameron Bailey last week, 
he seemed to think that I think that Toronto is going to be much smaller. I think all the festivals will be smaller, but they may not have as many films. But well, they hang won't. on though. I think one of the points that that that, that is crucial to to make here is that routinely we do see films that are part of the Oscar conversation that don't launch at festivals. Last year, 1917 being the most prominent example. Netflix so, is going to have a full robust awards slate and they're going to promote it and they're going to make uh, all the usual bells and whistles happen that they can to get into the Oscar race whenever that date turns out to, to be. Um, that isn't the issue. The issue is that the, the usual gatekeepers of the Oscar race, the festivals aren't gonna have those Netflix films. Netflix could dominate the Oscars. It has more big movies than anybody else. It's got the yeah. Man movie, the Ma Rainey movie, the, the uh, Hillbilly Elegy the Baran, movie. The Ramin Barani film, right, right. The White Tiger. You know, it's, yeah. it's got a lot, the 40-year-old version. They've got everything, you know, lined up. They're going to tee them off. They're just not going to have theatrical releases for them. Well, and, and no, it's quite possible that a lot of any other companies that's might right. not have theatrical so, releases. So this year, that's less of an issue. But it, but it, but it does, it, I, I almost think it, 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 it's a, an opportunity for Netflix to pull out for other films to use the festival as a platform if that platform is available. I mean, one of the things that I was talking to somebody else about recently when this came up was, um, I think it's important to point out is, I prefer, and I know you prefer, to see the big movies at festivals before the festivals. We often experience these movies in screening rooms or some other context than, say, on the, the quote-unquote front you lines like of Telluride or whatever. You like getting to see something ahead of time so that you have time to really properly think about it. See, no, but it's not just that. That's not I the only reason. I love seeing the movies with an audience at the festivals. Well, I, I do too. And I'm not haven't seen the film before. That's one of I, the most exciting things there is. Yeah, but get, but hang on, because I, I agree with you on some on a certain level, but at the same time, if that's the only track we're on, we often miss a lot of other films that could, let's say at Telluride, for example, that your act of killing was there. That was a hard movie to see at Telluride because of some of the other bigger movies that it was up against. No, it gives us more flexibility could, if we can see yeah, a few things ahead of you time. Take, you see stuff, uh, and, and to me, that is And that that's is how really we're going to see them all now. That's what's going to happen this year, because and, you and I are unlikely. You say you might go. I'm curious to see how many if I can go, I will go. Yeah. we will go to. I, I don't know how to fully You're assess the, if I can I go. Well, the, the, fair point. I mean, this is something that's been coming up for every level of the business. And, and you know, can we sh if we shoot movies again, we can't have people who are at risk on set and all that kind of stuff. But, but I, you know, something like Toronto every year, I try to see a lot in advance so that I can go see that it's a huge, huge lineup and it's really well programmed all across all these sections. But if you're just going to the galas and stuff, you're missing a lot of the great, you know, international work from first time filmmakers. So I, what I one of the things I'm thinking Eric. is, I, I, but, but it's not just, it's not just me. I mean, it's, it, this film culture is a, a much more complex thing in the Oscar conversation. And I think there's a real opportunity if the, high profile Oscar films are not using the festivals this year, but for practical reasons, then maybe that maybe from a programming standpoint, from a curatorial standpoint, there are other kinds of films that could rise up and maybe even Look, some of those crossovers. It's going to be fascinating to see how the whole thing plays out. It's going to be a very different mix of movies that actually end up in theaters 
and and there's going to be um, uh, movies that don't end up in theaters, and and it's going to be. I mean, one of the things that came up at that panel was that there that there was a difference between the movies that had been launched in theaters and then played on VOD. This was Dory's point um, from Magnolia, and and the movies that didn't launch in theaters and went on VOD didn't do as well. You know, so there's all sorts of issues right. coming forward. Is that's, how, that raises how these totally movies are all going to get branded and yeah. identified and uh, become part of a bigger cultural conversation. I don't know about you, but I'm missing the conversation I, that used I, to Of occur. course I do. No, we've talked about that many times. I mean, the fact that, you know, now we are. We didn't go to Cannes. What didn't we see? We're on the tail see? end of that. But let's, let's talk not, about can. Let's, let's talk about well, the branding hang on, though. Let's of not, the can. Let's films. not talk about. Let's not talk about how we miss can. But actually, what no, was there's the going corner, to be an announcement. Is, yeah, it's weird. It's like usually Terry, this would be that. Well, so usually this would be what the end of our. We'd be recapping can. Instead, we're anticipating a yes, can we announcement. Yes, Because can is, is still insisting on being in the conversation when maybe but I actually there's think an argument. I, there's an argument for maybe they should have let those films move on. To the well, like, the argument is uh, that argument is predicated on the question of what your priorities are. If your priorities are the community or the value of, of cinema and, and, and how it survives all of this, sure. If your priorities are the survival of Cannes and its brand They're as fine. the best festival in the world, but they need, but what they are doing is fighting for that sense of superiority by saying, well, we're still gonna have an, a canon announcement. We're still gonna have a brand that's going to be placed on films and something called an official selection at Cannes. They're also now, trying to force- how that plays out, we don't know. They're also trying to force some films to hold on until next year. Well, yeah, I mean, a Whether lot of- Whether or not that's good for those films. So that's a that's thing. A, that, that's, that's a challenge. I wanna get my hands challenge. on Terry Fremo and make him answer some of these questions. But the other question, the other question is uh, for film reps and for other major festivals, do they want films that are called canned films? Now, it's, to me, it seems like this they should be a very- They seem to have the whole world premiere thing out. Well, I don't At know about this. At least according to Cameron. What I've been hearing, and, and, and since I've spoken to Cameron, one thing that I've been hearing is that some festivals, including possibly Venice, are not not totally thrilled about the idea of taking can titles and have you know, there is even a possibility that films that play at premiere in Venice um, cannot be seen as, as can films because the, it, it takes some of that prestige factor out of it. It's no longer a Venice title. It's a can title that plays at Venice. It premieres at Venice. So, so there's kind also of a some question conflict. about Venice, uh, Eric. I mean, there's um, one side of Venice is, is Barbero and the other side is the people that he works for. Um, well, there seems they, to be they, some debate about who's calling the shots there. Uh, well, it, 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 as always with these European festivals, there, there's going to be some tension between the uh, the, the country and, 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 and the people who provide financing in that respect and their expectations and, and the, the curators. And the boasting and, that goes on, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So for the time being, Venice is on the calendar and, and nobody who works at the festival is going to contradict what's been stated right now, which is that the dates of the festival are on the calendar and they're planning to make it happen and that they are planning to curate an international festival, not just Italian films. Now, it's possible that they might be able to pull some of that off with a very, very minimal attendance. It's possible that Telluride could pull off a very small festival 
that still has some major films if we're able to see them and talk about them I without going. I think the going. fact that a film is, is, is actually booked and, and curated by a major festival gives e the film a certain um, branding that is going to be powerful and important going forward, on top of which uh, the media has to see it and, and people have to, to argue about it and, and debate yes. it. But, but we don't know yet uh, how the can thing is going to play out. If you're right and there's a can movie that doesn't play at Venice because it has can on it, I think that's terrible. It's stupid. And that's part of the problem is there, there are egos involved. You know, we have but egos when we debate movies. now's the time to movies. throw egos out. And think about I, how what's do best they do for the films. How, I mean, Fimo? I think, <laughs> but it's not just him. It's, it, it's, it's the can board. It's, it's the French, you know, Gaelic sense of high regard that draw, you know, they, they invented cinema. They're going to fight tooth and nail to hold on to that superiority and this kind of kumbaya. We, you know, it's nice for us to talk about it and we can talk about it in the nonprofit space. We can talk about all these North American festivals, you know, getting on calls together and exchanging info. But when it comes to the, the kind of cultural battlefield of, you know, people who are trying to, you know, lead the charge, inevitably, we're going to have crazy turf wars. And some of that is kind of fun. It's just unfortunate that it's happening against the backdrop of something really terrible for all of society and, you know, could end up making it even harder to rebound from all of this stuff than, you know, it, it should be. So I think that's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. There could be somewhere like 50, there could be 50 movies in this can selection on June 3rd. But What makes um, you think it's so many? That's what some of the early reports are suggesting. But we don't know yet because, again, it's, it's a real question of do you, do you take that association if it could potentially create more problems for you? So it'll be really interesting. I mean, it's never happened before. But I do think that from a historical standpoint, it's smart because even though this will be remembered as the year can didn't happen physically, you know, there will have been a, a can 2020 selection that there won't be a gap in the history books. I need like to there see the list. 68. I need to see what they are. Yep. You know? Yeah. I mean, I will, we'll get there really soon. That's what, yeah. For example, the, the Tribeca, we, you know, the film festival, the, the we, we are, are one film festival. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's, it, you <laughs> know, it's Kumbaya a lot of old office. stuff. It's a lot of things that, you know, already showed at Venice or, or, or Berlin or, or, or you know, it, it, it doesn't have a lot of new titles. Well, to play devil's advocate on that front, I mean, it's, it's really hard for those festivals. They got Carlo Vivari and Cannes and, and, and all these different people in New York to, to put together selections, but either though they, they will be widely available on YouTube. I mean, going over that lineup, I, I was thinking, okay, yes, this is not like high profile stuff, but New York Film Festival put together a pretty good set of short films that reflect their history, uh, the avant-garde roots of the festival. And there are probably some people who are interested in seeing those films and will be able to watch them for free. There's a, Carlo Vivari picked a, uh, a, a comedy film from the late seventies that was a Czech Oscar submission uh, in 1980 uh, that looks really interesting and I'd never heard of before. So that's gonna be streaming for free and, and it was curated. So I do think there ha there is some value to this thing if you really look at what they I'm curious to put see together. how many people will, will tune in. I so mean, the other, it's, it's um, more, the, you know, more of a concern is how all these festivals get the funding that they need to move forward. And, and that is what I'm really worried about or something like Tribeca Film Institute, you know, shuttering and not being yep. able to give funding yep. to so many documentary filmmakers who, who are relying on that. They put 
funding together from many different sources, but Tribeca was a main supplier of funding for a lot of those docs. So they, they, it, it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what other things could fall out going forward. So as, another as sponsors of, withdraw. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and we've seen, we're seeing all kinds of stuff in terms of, you know, people who don't, who are afraid that they don't have the resources to survive, just like pulling the plug on, on certain things that people really value. And there are these legit questions of, was that the right decision? Was there another way to do this that could have saved jobs or projects or whatever? And nobody really knows, but it's going to be an ongoing conversation in terms of, you know, well, how do you, how do you create a new support system for filmmakers? Because filmmakers aren't going to stop working. So there still is going to be some kind of infrastructure, but maybe TFI was not the, the place for it. I mean, I'm not defending that decision at all. I think it's, it's really horrible that what, what's, what's happened there, but it's, you know, it's, it, in some ways it feels like it was an Well, it's a reminder so. that a lot of these arts organizations, especially in this country where we don't have uh, government support to, at the level that a lot of the other countries do, um, you know, they're, they're vulnerable and uh, it's really disturbing. Um, it's going to be the high arts um, that are really going to be hurt uh, the most. Uh, so in, well, in other, um, yeah, in, in other big news in, involving money and um, changes to the business, we learned just the other day that Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, which had been a Paramount title, is has, has landed at it still is. Apple. It still is oh, a Paramount, Paramount title. Paramount, yeah, Paramount I mean, is going to release it, in fact, but Apple's but gonna pay for it. Apple's gonna pay for it, and let's be honest, more people will see that movie in Apple. God bless Martin Scorsese. No. That budget is between 180 and 200 million dollars. And right? it's about the FBI. And it's, that's it's not even like more Star Wars. than the <laughs> Irishman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 1920s. See... It's period. It's Oklahoma. It's based on this David Grand uh, piece, uh, this book. But I, 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 I can't wait to see it. But I, I, I got to say, all power to Martin Scorsese that he. Well, can... yeah, I mean, he he is a, a survivor. <laughs> He is a, a he is a survivor and a soldier of cinema, as, as Herzog might say. But it sounds like it that, will be in theaters at any rate. Yeah, it will. It will. I mean, and and this is coming on the heels of another film that that really landed at Apple a few weeks ago. Is that uh, Tom Hanks film, World War II film that he directed? Grey, Greyhound. So right. So so I think it is kind of interesting, you know, in the same. Well, they're spending that, money. They're spending money to compete with. Uh, yeah. You know, and I think in the same week that and the studios um, are making, you know, are, are hedging their bets and, and making uh, the, the streaming uh, competition pay. And then, well, that's as that's, they should because the money's there. So why not? But I do think also it's it, it works more in the favor of Apple, perhaps, than, than Paramount when you really get down to it, because, you know, it's, it's going to, it creates, it, it makes Apple look like the good guys. You know, last year it was Netflix gave Marty all the money in the world to realize his vision. Now it's Apple, which also has things like whatever, you know, Quaron is up to. And, and I mean, it's, there is something fascinating going on there as they build up a well, the strong real, library. The really big story this week was HBO Max coming online. And, you know, was it easy to sign up? Yes, no problem. Uh, if you're an HBO subscriber, you shouldn't have any problem. And, um, and it was fun. I'm sure you did the same thing. I, I tooled around looking at all the different sec, you know, there's the studio Ghibli section and the Looney Tunes section. Chaplin. I'm one of those 
people who grew up as a kid watching Looney Tunes. It was, it One was of like those if kids? you watched there a kid all who the cartoons, you always cheered when Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Porky Pig came on. Um, and then, and then, but what I really was struck by, of course, yes, there's the TCM and there's the classics and there's Casablanca and there's DC, although a lot of holes in the, the DC lineup. Uh, also uh, a lot of uh, Harry, all the Harry Potter movies, you know, these are the obvious brands, but friends. Um, but HBO is still uh, where the real action is. It's, it's, I, I looked through there and I, it was, it just hit me really hard how many beautiful docs are in there. Great docs. I, I think it's the thing that, that it's important to point out about HBO Max is that that library is probably the most diverse among the major streamers that, that have launched to compete with Netflix. I mean, Apple obviously doesn't have much. Disney Plus is Disney. When you look at HBO Max, I mean, you ticked off some of that stuff and it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there, there's, there are great auteurs in there and then there's Studio Ghibli and then there's classic, there's a great classic film library. And yet at the same time, there's new stuff. I mean, the, I'm looking forward to watching Trigonometry, which is a series that premiered in Berlin that, um, that has, you know, really great international cast. And, um, you know, there's new Adventure Time episodes, you know, I'm a big there's fan of that show. There's the Kirby Dick, uh, Amy Zeering documentary. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. It's, it's, um, it is literally something for everyone in a way that these other streamers have not well, it's been more able adult. to. It's, a more, it's more adult stuff. And it's also such a wide, wide range. I mean, this is what I've wanted the studios to do all along. This is the true vertical Warner Brothers universe and as they pull all the rights back from from other people uh, some of the stuff will go away because there's a lot of movies that are being licensed by hbo that other studios won't want them to have it then they can uh, replace it with yes, other stuff i mean yes. the, the thing that that is often lost in this conversation when people are like hey why doesn't netflix just like buy criterion well first of all criterion would have to agree to that but it's that you know the audience for some of this stuff is not massive so it's you can't you can't spend a lot of money on it but if you have a great library and it's part of a larger piece of the puzzle then you get all these different small audiences to be part of the larger puzzle and that seems to be the potential of hbo max is that there there's so much stuff that isn't necessarily going to be a blockbuster hit but collectively it's going to speak to more it's diverse and it's deep and the only uh issue i have with it really is it's so vast that looking for things is actually a challenge. You know, they don't surface that much stuff for you. And so you have these big alphabetical lists. Like if you're gonna really go into the depths of the Warner Brothers library or the TCM stuff, you really have to look for titles specific. You can't just browse. It doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to browsing very well. Well, I tell you, observation. I, 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 I will do my best to browse HBO Max over the over the weekend. I mean, I'm looking forward to trying to figure out, you know, how to use this thing. It's it's almost like you get like a new toy in the mail. Yeah, and you're like yeah, pushing all these buttons. So yeah, yeah. I will do that and report back next week. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a can lineup of some sort to dig through. And yeah, we can go through that. And we're going to start a new. Uh, we're going to start, I mean, first of all, uh, Eric, we are going to bring guests back and we are going to have more live Zoom 
Cameron was uh, not the last. No. Yeah. And so, but we're going to do one, it on right? a schedule. We're going to space it out. We've got some good people that we're talking to. And we're also going to do a new uh, thing where a, a title of the week that we, we dig into the two of us that we can debate. Yeah. So we're open to suggestions, just as long as you don't throw anything too trashy at us. And I, I, I have a, a minimal threshold for really bad movies, as you might know. So, you know, we'll, we'll try to find something that's worth I talking about. I think we're about. sharing that. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. One All always right. hopes. Talk to you next All week. Right. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.